0: Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. This podcast episode is sponsored by the Christian Standard Bible. I absolutely love the Christian Standard Bible. I get asked all the time, like, hey, what translation do you use? or What's your favorite translation? Which is a hard, it's a hard, question to answer, because look, there's a lot of great translations out there. Um, I will say honestly, though, my favorite is the Christian Standard Bible, which is an update and revision of the older Holman Christian Standard Bible. And whenever I look at a new translation, I always race to the list of translators, like all the scholars that are working on the translation, because behind every translation are a bunch of humans. It's just the way it is. This Bible has such an impressive list of amazing scholars that I'm so many that I uh, know and respect. So I love this translation. It's the only translation I think that uh, that really nails John 316 because the Greek word houtos means in this way, not. So, so the CSB says, for God loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son and so on and so forth. I mean, that's, that's what the Greek means. So if you're looking for a new translation, uh, go to csbible.com. That's csbible.com. This episode is sponsored by the InterVarsity Press Book Drop. The IVP Book Drop is a monthly book club perfect for readers who want to grow spiritually and hear from a diverse range of voices addressing today's most important cultural topics. So for 10 bucks a month, you get one book sent to you every month, and that includes shipping. So they'll start you off with uh, D- Dr. Esau McCauley's best-selling book, Reading While Black, which is a fantastic book. And then on the second Monday of every month, a new book will be sent to you, books written by emerging voices along with uh, well-known figures who are both diverse in ethnicity and In gender. I love InterVarsity Press. They always publish books that are intellectually responsible, well researched, and also very readable and focused on the church. And I don't know if you know, but a lot of my guests that I've had on the show have published with IVP. So like Le- Lamar Hardwick, Sandy Richter, Greg Coles, Lori Krieg, George Yancey, Tish Harrison Warren, Issa McCauley, and, and if you don't know this, Press and Sprinkle. I actually have a book out with IVP published many, many years ago. Anyway, it's super easy to sign up. Just go to IVPress.com forward slash TITR. That's IVPress.com forward slash TRTR. Uh, stay informed, stay up to speed on today's most important topics. Again, IVpress.com forward slash TITR. If you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Theology Naraw and support the show for as little as five bucks a month. Or if you don't want to support the show financially, you can tweet it, Facebook it. Instagram it and talk about it with your friends. Spread the word about the All General. That's also a huge help. Leave a review if you um, have enjoyed the show, or if you hate the show, you can leave a one-star review. If you like the show, you can leave a higher review at your pleasure. Just leave an honest review. That's all we ask. Um, if you want to attend the Theology in the Rock conference in the spring, space, again, is filling up March 31st through April 2nd, 2022. we got an incredible lineup of speakers. We're, we're going to engage all kinds of issues related to race, sexuality, gender, politics, hell, and uh, women in the church, and so on and so forth. All the info is in the show notes, or you can just go to pressandsprinkle.com and register sooner than later. My guest today is... Dr. Russell Moore. Russell Moore is a public theologian at Christianity Today and director of Christianity Today's public theology product, a product, (laughs) project. Let me start that over. Director of Christianity Today's public theology project. Dr. Moore is the author of several books, including The Courage to Stand, Facing Your Fear Without Losing Your Soul, Onward, Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel, and The Storm Tossed family. uh, Russ is from Mississippi, and he and his wife, Maria, are the parents of five kids. Russell Moore is one of my favorite public theologians. I'm so excited to have him on the show today. So please welcome to the show, hopefully not the last time, but definitely the first time, the one and only Dr. Russell Moore. All right. Hey, friends. I'm here with uh, Dr. Russell Moore. Uh, Russ, thanks so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: This has been long overdue. For, uh, probably not for you, but maybe for me. I mean, I've been a huge uh, fan of yours from a distance and just have loved... Well, likewise. Well, oh, goodness. Um, I, I mean, obviously, you've written a lot of books and you've um, made your stamp on evangelicalism, I would say, in incredibly healthy ways. But it's your it's your posture and your humility in the midst of being wise and courageous that that combination is just i don't know it, it seems to be very rare to to be both courageous and humble in in our time so i just thank you so much for being a model for us younger well i think we're close to the same age but you might be a couple of years on me but <laughs>
1: Well, thank you. Uh, I don't feel courageous or humble. So, uh, (laughs) but but, I thank you anyway. (laughs)
0: So, I, you know, obviously you've been all across the kind of evangelical news the last couple of years. I I would love to hear just your story, like last few years, like what has life been like as a a leader in the Southern Baptist Convention? And then now, you know, you're working for Christianity Today. Um, You know, you read stuff on. The internet and i'm like yeah i'm i'm the type of person i'm always like i want to talk to the person and hear what's going on you know because usually stuff is i don't know just not reported always with the most with the most accuracy so yeah tell us about your journey the last few years
1: well i mean i've uh i served for um eight and a half years as uh, president of the uh, ethics and religious liberty commission which is the Moral and public policy um, agency of the Southern Baptist Convention. So I was uh, I was there at a um, really interesting time in American life uh, when uh, tw- the difference between 2013 mm. and say 2017 is light years. I mean, it's uh, lo- looking back to uh, 2015 and thinking about what a completely different sort of cultural ecosystem we were in at yeah. the time that suddenly uh, suddenly changed. I don't think that my last two years, um, I don't think that, that my experience has been all that different from most people that I talk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right now I'm talking to, really, it doesn't matter uh, whether they're pastors or members of Congress or um, uh, principals Um, Almost everybody is living through uh, the same thing, Hmm. which is uh, often um, a majority of the people who are goodwilled and uh, who are on the same page and then a minority of people uh, who are, um, as Jonathan Rauch puts it in his book, The Constitution of uh, Knowledge, seeking to demoralize. I think everybody's uh, going through that, and that's that's what um, <laughs> that, that uh, I'll have that conversation. It doesn't matter whether it's somebody who's uh, pastoring a twenty-person church plant or a megachurch yeah. or whatever uh, realm of life they're in. It's the it's the same sort of moment. Huh. So I kind of went through um, went through a time of just asking, "What's the?" Um, what's the best way for me to be able to do what Jesus called me to do? Yeah. And I'm uh, very happy with how that turned out, but it uh, yeah. it took a while.
0: Yeah, it does seem like the the loudest voices are on the kind of fringe, whether it's the far left, far right, in any kind of context. And it yeah. sounds like those voices are representing a larger number of people than they actually are. Um, that's been my experience, at <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah. And, and, and they have, um, they have inordinate power. I mean, one of the things I would often listen to my own counsel that I was giving to other people. And I remember, uh, talking one time to a pastor who said, you know, I'm just going to leave because, uh, I'm, I'm dealing with just this awful situation here. And I said, well, how many people are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. And he said, that's 10 people. I said, well, you have 10 people in a congregation of 300. Why would you leave the 290 because of 10 people? And that makes sense mathematically, but it doesn't take into account that 10 people can completely transform um, an ecosystem if the 290 don't understand what's uh, what's going on. And, And often, the people who are the healthiest are the least engaged in in whatever the uh, whatever the system or institution is for all kinds of good reasons. Yeah. And the people who are the unhealthiest are the most engaged often. And so you end up with a situation. uh, There's a a new book, uh, Brian Klaus called um, Corrupted, uh, where he's talking about uh, how uh, it's not so much that power corrupts as that corruptible people seek power. Oh, wow. And he, he gives the example of his uh, mom who served on school board because she was, you know, she cared about kids, she cared about education. and So she ran for school board. Now, he said, at a time when school board members are getting screamed at and death threats and everything else, she wouldn't have run. So you just end up with the kind of people who don't mind being screamed at and death threats, which right. sometimes tends to be people who are <laughs> kind of Machiavellian.
0: <laughs> that's a great, yeah. Corrupt people seek power. I, I haven't thought about it like that. That's crazy. I mean, that's frightening, but um so so at least one there's two as I understand it. So I, I'm not in the Southern Baptist world. I've got friends that are, so I've only and I don't I don't Google Evangelical stuff very often. So I only know vaguely kind of Neither stuff going on for people like me that maybe, you know, like, well, now what, what's going on with the SBC? Like, I know two of the issues, as I understand it, are the sexual abuse, I don't, scandals or cover ups, or I, I don't even know what language to use. Uh-huh. Um, and then some discussions surrounding race. Would that be an accurate general picture? And if so, I would love to get your take on each of those two. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: Yeah, I I mean, I don't think it's limited to uh, any one uh, denomination or sector. I I think that we see this um, manifesting itself in multiple different places at the same time. Okay. Uh, But they're they're often very connected sorts of issues. So racial justice and reconciliation issues would be uh, would be one. Uh, The other would be sexual abuse. Um, And then there are the issues that have um, that have sort of been presented to uh, all all kinds of evangelical Mm -hmm. spaces um, in the Trump years. And uh, and then after that, with uh, with the sort of conspiracy theories that have emerged um, and not just with the the the, the election, but also with the pandemic and, mm-hmm. uh, and so forth. I mean, that's, that's happening in, in many different places. And so, um, you know, one of the, one of the things I've noticed is that, and I, I found myself doing this too, often thinking, okay, here's the stuff here. If we can just, you know, Merle Haggard, if we can make it through December, we'll be fine. It's here's where this, uh, the stopping point of this is. Mm-hmm. So you said people, yeah, the 2016 election is so crazy. Yeah. If We just get past that, yeah. then uh, then we can move forward, and then it's uh, well the 2020 election, or then it's well the the uh, development of the vaccine, or then it's inauguration day, or and and that just <laughs> keeps moving out, and yeah. it's not getting any saner. <laughs> so yeah. this is just the new reality.
0: That the, I I when the when the pandemic started to settle in, I was like, hey here's a thing that can unite, <laughs> bring more unity. Yeah, Kind of like how, how 9-11 is tragic as that was, there seemed to be in the wake of that some semblance of unity, you know? Um I was like, oh, the pan- a pandemic. What, what else do we need to bring some kind of unity? Yeah. Obviously, that didn't happen. Then, you know, yeah, you throw Trump into that. Then the election. I was one of those that was like, okay, the vaccines almost developed. The election's here. And to me, I was like, whoever – I, I don't know. Like, let's just get past the election, vaccines, and we'll be all fine. And it just seems like we're everything's more divided than ever. And and it's one thing when the our secular culture is divided there. It's kind of like, well, okay. Yeah, I, I can live with that. But when the church plays in like mirrors that, and every single pastor mm-hmm. I've talked to, every single one says the last year was the hardest year of their life pastoring. And it had to do not just with The pandemic per se, not just with the elections, but with the, with the, with the stark division, like hostile divisions that existed in their church, not yeah. around people leaving the church, not over theological issues, like "hey, we don't believe mm-hmm. in the Trinity anymore" or something, but like whether right. we are too strong or too light on masks or vaccines or how we even talk about this or that. And are you experiencing that as well? Because I know you get around Ab- a lot. Different-
1: so, absolutely, it's it's every single day. To the point that uh, I know I have a pastor friend who um, was contacted by a church uh, saying, hey, would you be interested in talking to us? And he he, really wasn't, but he asked me, what do you you think? Uh, And I knew that he is the only, uh, not just pastor, but the only leader of any sort that I know right now who would say, I have a great situation that I wouldn't change at all. And I just said you would be insane to leave. <laughs> you, should, uh, you should just take this unicorn uh, moment and, and live in it, which is what he did. But yeah, it's it's um, it. I think one of the problems is that previously there were some people who could kind of navigate around some of this stuff by, as 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 they might put it, staying in my lane. Uh, so if you if you don't sort of engage those particular points that are really fiery at the moment then you can do what you're called to do but that doesn't work yeah. uh, in a time where uh, if you don't speak to uh, these things that's received as itself a kind of provocation And so yeah. you know you have people who one one pastor uh, said to me he said look I, uh, trained to know the Bible, to preach the Bible, to counsel hurting people, to lead people to Christ. Now I have to be a political pundit uh, and uh, elections uh, spe- yeah. election law specialist and infectious disease and- <laughs> expert. Yeah, uh, yeah, and all of that. And he said, um, "I'm just not. I just can't can't keep up with all of that." And who can?
0: What's the so where? <laughs> Are we moving out of it, or just deeper into the vortex of this everything we're talking about? And and what what? I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, and, and what would it take to get us to a place to where we can have a more unity around the gospel, around the authority of Scripture, around the things that really matter, rather than getting mixed up in all this stuff? Do you see us moving deeper into it, or moving, or are we getting better? Are we getting into a or healing as a church?
1: Well, I, I often think of uh, Edward Abbey, the, um, uh, the old uh, writer and environmental activist who uh, said that he was a, a short-term pessimist and a long-term optimist, and he defined short-term as the next 5,000 years. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm not quite that, but I, I do think that things are getting worse and will get worse before they get better. Um, now that doesn't mean though, that I think we're in an endless spiral downward Mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. I mean, one of them is Jesus, Jesus made his promise at Caesarea Philippi and that's, that's going to be kept, Mm -hmm. um, whether the American church, um, goes along with it or not church will be built, but also because there's, um, there's just a, I think there is a limit to human exhaustion. Uh, when it comes to, to this sort of just endless, um, as, as the Apostle Paul would put it, unhealthy craving for controversy. Uh, yeah. I do think that, that that leaves people burned out, and the question then is, well, what then? Right. And so I think you just have to have people who are, uh, who are ready to be there uh, yeah. when the, the question of what then is asked.
0: I, I am a little nervous about the next election cycle. Cause it, it could oh, be, I, am too. I thought this last one was going to be, and it was, I think, uh, probably the most intense, the most volatile, the most sensitive. I think the next one's going to be even more, right? I mean, you're more of an expert yeah. at this stuff than I am.
1: Yeah, I, I think it will be, um, if, if for no other reason, if you think about, um, uh, for instance, uh, right after the election, uh, when, uh, President Trump said that the election had been stolen uh, from him, which it it wasn't. I mean, we we can verify what what the election uh, was and wasn't. But when he claimed that, uh, you know, I thought at the time, well, you'll have a group of people who are just going to sort of work through their disappointment Mm -hmm. and they'll uh, probably believe this for a while and then they'll move on. What you have seen, though, is that larger and larger numbers of people, uh, accepting that. So when you, when we don't see just how close we came to the brink, uh, in, uh, in 2020, uh, yeah, it's, it's really terrifying to think about what could be in store in 2024. And what, what sort of worries me is that we, it worries me that we, uh, Mike, we we've gotten to the place where we've kind of normalized the things that previously would have shocked us to such a degree mm-hmm. that we don't even recognize hmm. uh, the peril that we're in. That's what I think is is the real worry it,
0: so go you said it's it's a lot larger than you thought when it when I say it's a lot larger, things like Q and some of these conspiracy theories, not not people supporting. Trump per se, but people who are adamant yeah. that he's coming back or all, you know, all these theories. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> like, is that a larger yeah. number? Because I, I just, it's, to me, it sounds like such a fringe perspective, kind of that loud, tiny minority, but may, I could be totally wrong. I don't know. I, this, so the, the, well, the, the circles I swim in, I don't deal with those kind of people. So um, is it yeah. a bigger well, number I than me? Yeah.
1: Yes. I mean, you can you can just look at the, uh, you can look at the uh, polling data um, and not in terms of the people who I think one of the mistakes people make is to say, um, well, who are the people who will say I'm a QAnon supporter and I'm accepting uh, whatever uh, Q says or whatever mm-hmm. uh, this particular conspiracy theory group says? That's not how it works. Uh, th- the way it works at a national level is really similar to how some unhealthy churches uh, will operate, where there'll be uh, a, a group of people who maybe they hate the pastor, but the most people love the pastor, and so they can't take him on directly. So what they just start doing is saying, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of people concerned about uh, Pastor so-and-so, and, what well, you know, what do you think? And then it eventually gets to the point where people think, well, a lot of people are saying that the pastors uh, crook. So you know maybe uh, that's the case. That's mm-hmm. sort of the way it works is where you you have people who don't even know that what they're uh, picking up is coming from some fringe uh, conspiracy theory uh, site. they're They're just saying, well, I don't know. it's you know, a lot of people are saying, that uh, the vaccines will do bad things to you, or uh, a lot of people are saying that there's this uh, satanic pedophile network uh, running the government. I don't know, uh, and that's what uh, that's what really moves the, as they say, the Overton window uh, on these issues.
0: Well, and it ha- part of that has to do with just a flurry of information on social media, the internet, people just you know spending two minutes on this and five minutes on this and. 10 minutes on this and 30 seconds on this and they just have i things floating around they don't know where they got it they haven't fact checked they haven't done deep research and then they go have a conversation and spread that and somebody else that's impressionable i mean is that kind of how this is going on there's just all these ideas kind of out there that people whatever kind of sounds right they kind of grab a hold of again not 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 like in an in their deep conviction but they're just like yeah i heard this or yeah. that
1: yeah, that's part. That's part of it, and I think um, I think another part of it is there's a um, there's a book that came out last year talking about how um, the the people who uh, that, that most people who are sort of on social media are kind of normal, balanced uh, kinds of people, but they have the most to lose uh, because they they really want to have relationships with people in their life that would be imperiled by their just sort of ranting uh, about something or they have jobs that wouldn't uh, Mm -hmm. look kindly on that sort of thing. So they kind of self-censor and are silent, which means that the sort of fringy, Mm -hmm. ranting, trollish uh, kinds of voices become amplified all the more. Uh, That's part of it. And then the other thing is just there's not time for uh, for things to really be thought through. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, for most things in life, uh, we actually don't have an immediate opinion on. Some mm-hmm. things we do, but most things that we're not thinking about all the time, we sort of let sit there, or we're meant to kind of let it sit there and, and think about it and ponder it and maybe change our minds a few times. Now you're at a place where you not only should have an immediate opinion, mm-hmm. And broadcast that immediate opinion, but now you're you're kind of committed to that opinion. And human nature, being the way that it is, says, yeah. you know, I'm. I was just talking to somebody this morning about um, the sort of spiritual crisis that I went through as a 15 year old, mm-hmm. that was going on entirely without anybody knowing uh, that it was happening. And I said, on the one hand, I really wish that I had had more people who were, you know, I felt safe enough to say I'm, I'm having these questions. But on the other hand, I'm really grateful that I didn't have social media channels because then what I would have uh, what I would have done is either to say there's nothing to see here. We're awesome. Uh, Onward, Christian soldiers. Or I would have said I'm questioning all of this, so I'm deconstructed and I'm uh, leaving the faith. I mean, you you would have really I would have really been committed myself to one of those things when I had to just sort of sit in the in the wilderness for a little while right. uh, until until I was pulled through it. And I, we just don't have the option for that now most of the time.
0: Can you imagine having a Twitter account at 15? <laughs>
1: No, like the stuff no. I would have said, the so dirt people in the, the would have world had has media. been spared so much that 15 year old Russell Moore did not have a Twitter account.
0: We we've told uh, uh, our our we have a uh, we have four kids. Uh, they're all teenagers, and uh, we don't do we tell them there's no social media till they're um, uh, 18. Um, mm-hmm.
1: And that you know, I was
0: a hard decision for about a week and a half when they're like 13 years old and their friends, you know. But I'm like. Like this is, I'm not going to give you a crack pipe. <laughs> I'm not going to give you a loaded right, gun. That's right. <laughs> and I'm not going to give yeah. you something that's worse than both of those combined. This access to bullying, to abuse, to loneliness, to all this stuff that you don't know how to manage yeah. with a 13, 15 year old. And um, I I think now they, yeah, they, they think us later, like, oh, you've saved us from, <laughs> it's probably yeah. make it a. Fool of ourselves on social media because when you're 13, 14, 15 years old, you'll know how to use something so incredibly powerful like that. But um
1: so well, and also yeah. what you're doing is you're you're at that age, no matter what, you're sort of um wondering what do other people think of me? Mm. Uh where where do I fit? And so if you if you kind of have this ongoing uh sort of metric that you think tells you what people think of you yeah. immediately, it becomes an exhausting sort of life of yeah. just uh, chasing that and, and constantly evaluating yourself. That's oh, that's no way to live.
0: It's a disaster. Um, so, go, yeah, going back, I want to go back, because I, I the, the, with the sexual abuse stuff going on in the church, is that mm-hmm. getting addressed? Because, again, I don't, I don't even know in my world, I don't really know what's going on. I just hear stuff going on. Like, is it a huge deal? Like, are there tons of, like, Abuse cases being yes. covered up? Was it a few? Is it a mass? Is it a, is this a huge thing the church absolutely needs to address? And how are we doing with that? Uh,
1: this is a huge thing the church absolutely <laughs> does uh, need to address. And uh, one of the reasons, uh, one of the reasons that uh, predators are empowered and predatory behavior uh, is empowered, is that people sometimes get the mindset. Uh, when something happens, even when they, you know, quote unquote, deal with it to say, well, we have to keep this a secret. Uh, otherwise, unbelievers are going to have a bad uh, picture of, of Jesus. Uh, and of course, I mean, Jesus never asked us to preserve his reputation by covering things up. Uh, he, he does just the opposite yeah. and, and brings things into the light. And so I think there's a sense of um, – there has been a sense of that along with a sense of – for for many people, a sense of kind of invulnerability Mm. to say, well, we know that uh, abuse happens, but it happens in Catholic churches or it happens in uh, some other churches. It doesn't happen in a church like mine where we all know each other and we all trust each other and so forth. And that is exactly – uh, the, the sort of, uh, place where predatory behavior can happen yeah. and, uh, and does happen. And so it's a, it's a big issue and, and you can, uh, I remember, uh, at a point where several of these, uh, th- there was a, um, Uh, there was a a Houston Chronicle uh, investigation of, at the time, 300 uh, sexual abuse uh, cover-up issues within churches just in that one uh, investigation, along with scandal after scandal after scandal that was emerging, um, a Ravi Zacharias situation and and others. And I remember meeting with a group of of conservative evangelical women of all different sorts of ages and, and denominations, and one of them said, "I sense that when some of you men leaders are seeing some of these things, you're shocked and rattled by them. And I just want you to know, none of us are." Wow. And I looked around the room, and every head was nodding. Uh, that that this was this was not a shock. Um, that uh, to them, they had they had seen. Uh, or experienced or uh, new people who had experienced these things, but who didn't talk about them hmm. uh, because they they weren't allowed to talk about them wow. uh, or or talking about them was seen as some sort of disloyalty. I mean that's a huge, huge hmm. crisis for uh, for the church. and if we don't uh, address it, uh, we're going to be in uh, we're going to be yeah. in serious trouble.
0: Is that the motivation you mentioned that people want to preserve the reputation of the church? because to me, I'm like, who would cover something like that? up. And also, there's two questions, I guess. Like, what's the motivation? Is it to preserve the reputation? And number two, when you say cover up, is it like, hey, let's deal with this internally? Or is it let's just like, completely ignore it altogether?
1: Well, it, it's uh, in some cases, it's let's ignore it altogether. In some qu- uh, cases, it is uh, someone who's been victimized to say, why are you bringing this up? when um, uh, so-and-so is a really beloved and important uh, person in our oh, congregation. God. I mean, there are, there are many different ways that this that this happens. And for some people, it is, uh, well, if we talk about this publicly. Now, I had a, a church call uh, one time, a very good pastor, who had a situation where something came to light that had happened uh, previously in the life of that church that they didn't know about. Hmm. And... Uh, he said, what, what should I do? And I said, well, he was going to meet with this congregation um, that night. And I said, call the newspapers and the television stations and invite them to be there. Tell them what's going on. And he said, well, I don't want to do that because the people in our community will say, oh, that's the church that had a, a, a sexual abuse uh, issue. I said, No. The people in your community will know that's the church that addressed a sexual abuse uh, issue. I so said that 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 doesn't take away confidence when you deal with something and you do it in an accountable, transparent way. It actually it actually contributes uh, to to confidence. That's not why you do it. You do it because it's morally right and demanded by God. But but this this um, this act of trying to project an image. Uh, not only is wrong, but it also has the opposite uh, sort of end result from what people think it will.
0: No, that's a great point. And, and I i mean, the, you're, you're, I think the main point is what you said in passing, that this is the morally right thing to do. E- even if yeah. people misunderstood and says, wow, that's a sexual... E- even if the, the church e- shrinks e- to 50 people, 10 people, you need yes. to do the morally right thing to do. You know,
1: that's That's exactly right. You cannot... Uh, you cannot advance good with evil. And so if, if what you have to do to carry out your mission is to affirm or to cover up something that's wicked and evil and harmful to vulnerable people, completely contrary to the teachings of Jesus, uh-huh. then that mission should suffer. Right, right. I mean, uh, Rachel, Rachel Denhollander asks the question, uh, what is a little girl worth? Um. Yeah. In that context, what is a what is a little girl? What is a little boy? What is a, a man or a woman created in the image of God? What is that person worth? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Infinitely more mm-hmm. than institutional self-protection.
0: Are, so? You said it this isn't just because. Again, from my vague like knowledge of what's going on, I just hear like you know Catholic Church and then the, the SBC. You're saying this is a just a church-wide issue. Um. Is it not? There's nothing particular it, in the it, SBC.
1: It's not just a church-wide issue. It's a uh, – there, there isn't a safe harbor uh, from this in any aspect of life. Uh, so you, you would see people who would say um, – you know, Christians who would look at, say, the Harvey Weinstein uh, scandal or the Jeffrey Epstein scandal and say, uh, well, see, this is what happens Uh, when sort of secularism and uh, sexual revolution, uh, libertinism, when this goes to to full bore, uh, and then you turn around and say, well, what about what's taking place within the church? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the problems is sometimes what we all want to do is to say, okay, what's the superficial thing that's causing this? And let's just fix that. Mm -hmm. So you'll have people who will say, well, The reason there's a problem in Southern Baptist life is because uh, all of the churches are autonomous, so there's not an authority uh, over them. And then some people will turn around and say, well, the problem with the Roman Catholic Church is that it's uh, so hierarchical and there's so much authority that the uh, bishops are able to cover things up. Uh, or well, the the problem with a Willow Creek is that it's egalitarian and doesn't uh, doesn't call on men to be responsible enough. Well, the problem with a uh, with some other uh, group is because they're complementary. Well, actually, <laughs> yeah. any system and any theology can be uh, uh, can be utilized uh, for evil. Hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean that all those systems and theologies are all right or or equal, but it does mean that that I have to recognize even things that I believe are good and true, if I'm not constantly watching mm-hmm. um, and, and holding accountable, can be used for devilish purposes. Mm,
0: that's good. That's a great point. It, it goes back to kind of the tribalism, like whatever tribe I don't like, I'm, I'm going to try to say, well, because they believe this, then it leads to all that. And we ignore kind of the, that this is a common human problem that, yeah, uh, yeah. The any system left unchecked or any System that's just kind of broken could could foster that. Are are you? Um...
1: Yeah, and that, that leads you not to what what you have to be saying is in whatever system whatever system you're in is to say how where are the weak points here mm-hmm. that can be exploited, and so even in a in a local church uh, situation, um, uh, for to stand up and to say to people, hey, here's what we're doing to try to support vulnerable people and to care for uh, people who have been abused. What we want to know from you is where are the gaps? Uh, what, what are we not seeing? It's not an act of disloyalty hmm. to come and to say, we think that we've got uh, some, some major gaps here that, that could lead to problems. We want you to, to say that. And so if you're in a church context uh, with uh, bishops, Saying uh, what are the ways that um, what are the ways that our system could be exploited? If you're in a a very loose autonomous uh, sort of situation, how could that be exploited? I mean, you just have to be watching that all the time.
0: Do, do you have are there some common gaps that you've seen in, in kind of across all systems? Like, what what are some of the the ingredients that are recipes for disaster as you as you can see them?
1: Well, I mean, one of those ingredients is – and a key one, I think, is uh, the idea that this couldn't happen with people like us. Okay. Um, and, and so uh, – and the other is when there's a, um, when there's a deification of power hmm. uh, so that you have, uh, you, you have people who are credible on the basis of how much power they have and other people who are incredible based upon the power that they lack, hmm. then you're going, to, you're going to end up with a situation where, um, where people are, are hurt.
0: Wow. Are, are things getting better? Because this has been so public now and such an issue. Is it? Do you feel like we're in a good spot? We're moving forward with addressing abuse cases in a healthy way?
1: I, I think that there are some places where things are getting better, uh, if only because people are starting to recognize this could happen here. Um, and, and in that sense, it's, it's getting better in those places. Mm-hmm. And in some places, I think um, because in some cases they have seen awful things happen, so they're more uh, attuned to it. In other cases, just because there are little things – That um, that that start to happen that seem like innovations that then just become replicated. So, for instance, I mean, there was a time when it would have been insulting uh, if you visited a church and you went to go pick up your your child from the nursery and they said, do you have a tag uh, or or an I.D.? Mm -hmm. And it was like, I mean, why you you don't try? I mean, now that's that's almost uh, typical Because some people started seeing that problem, doing it, and then other people started to pay attention to it and say, well, these are some things that we can do. In those areas, I think things uh, might be getting better. But in many other areas, there's uh, almost a backlash uh, to concern for uh, vulnerable people, period, but uh, the sexually abused, um, Mm -hmm. too, with a sense of, well, this is the Me Too movement is some sort of secular uh, a, a kind of uh, a culture that we as christians need to uh need to stand against and you can see the way that scripture often can be weaponized um against people uh, david is always every predatory uh church leader that i've ever seen has someone saying this is this is king david you you, oh, you need wow. to just uh you need to just forgive and not hold uh, accountable and uh, often you will have even, even the best things uh, about the Christian gospel, grace and forgiveness, mm-hmm. uh, weaponized into uh, where there are people who are, who are told uh, you need to forgive this, uh, by which they mean you need to cover this up and not ask for uh, accountability, uh, or even sometimes in ways that further victimizes the victims, by saying you need to – I've seen cases where people who have endured horrific sexual abuse have had to, in order to stay within their communities, actually apologize to their abusers uh, because I tempted you or I led you. I mean this is just really twisted uh, twisted and, and perverse stuff, but that goes on.
0: Yeah. Gosh, that that's – Oh, it's overwhelming actually. But um wow. I just I feel I mean, yeah, there's there's such a high percentage of especially women who have been abused. I, I just had Jay Stringer on the podcast. He's kind of an expert in this area, and he said something like one out of every three, maybe four women have been involved in some kind of abusive situation. And and one out of six mm-hmm. men, um, mm-hmm. typically younger age, almost almost always. And he he went into great detail about how this happens. Almost always, somebody who has is close to them is loving, is caring. Has a this isn't like you know taken in a back alley out of nowhere or thrown into a white van or something. That this is almost always somebody who is. I did not expect that, you know. And if yeah, I mean the cases I hear are just so several cases of pastor kids, pastors' kids when they were like. 10 twelve at a Bible study like during the Bible study yeah. A, 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 yeah an odd high number of that kind of situation I'm like what this is man this is
1: well scary. and especially when I mean one of the things that many abusive people do is to use spiritual authority uh, in order to uh, in order to carry out their abusive behavior mm-hmm. so that what you're what you're saying is not only I'm overpowering you with um with my evil mm-hmm. but i'm overpowering you with my evil and it's because of jesus wow you know and 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 you you have to you have to go along with this um because if you don't it means that you're being disloyal uh to Spiritual authority, or you're being disloyal to the the mission of this uh, church or institution. Why would you? Uh, why would you want to look at all the good things that are uh, taking place? I mean, you know, when the Ravi Zachariah stuff uh, first started coming out, um, I I started asking questions and wait a minute, what's going on here? And many people would say, "Well, look at all the good things that." Uh, Ravi Zacharias Ministries, uh, the things that they do, and the unbelievers who hear the gospel, and the question is, yeah, but but is that true? Is, is this mm-hmm. is this really what's happening? And and if so, you can't say, well, why compromise the mission? But that happens. Uh, that happens in many situations where people feel as though uh, I'm going to uh, be disloyal to mm-hmm. Christ, or I'm going to lose my community, and that's. Yeah. That, that takes what's already a horrific uh, act of abuse and just multiplies it.
0: So I got a question for you that people ask me all the, all the time, and I don't know exactly how to answer it. It's kind of complex, but like, mm-hmm. um, you, you mentioned Ravi, and we can mention many other people. Does their recent like the revelation of what was going on does that invalidate the content? Which we'd probably say is good content that they've put out over the years. Does that mean we shouldn't? We should throw away our Zacharias books? Stop listening to previous sermons? Like, and I, and I think of like even like John Howard Yoder. I'm a big fan, and and yeah, some stuff surrounding him. Or even like Carl Bart had an affair, probably, and other people. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. Does this invalidate the content of what they said?
1: Um, well, I think that it, it, you have to differentiate between um th- there are many people who have heard the gospel or who have uh, had their faith strengthened by people who later uh, turned out to be uh, fraudulent some way or the or the other uh, and that's not a new thing uh, Paul talks about that and and says whether out of pretense right, or in true. reality is the the gospel is preached uh Judas Iscariot, uh, presumably was out uh, announcing the, uh, the kingdom of God before he was revealed to be who he is. Uh, and, and what he was saying, if he's saying what's delivered to him by Jesus is true. So it doesn't mean that you say, well, that's all untrue because Judas is Judas. Mm-hmm. What it does mean though, is that you evaluate carefully. Okay. What are the things that I received on the basis of my trust in this person? And making sure that I am not uh, continuing that in some way. So if somebody said to me, look, I was an atheist. I heard Ravi Zacharias. I came to faith in Christ. Does that mean that my faith is not genuine? No, that doesn't mean that at all. But I also wouldn't be giving out Ravi Zacharias uh, books okay. or, uh, or sermons because that would then be communicating to people, well, this doesn't, this doesn't really matter. Uh, so you what can matters still, you can is, is, se- is the content.
0: You can still celebrate the impact that the content has made on the kingdom and in your personal life, and yet to continue to promote that content after the fact could be a little, I don't know, tone deaf or <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, yeah, and and I think so. To, you to, you sometimes then look back and say, well, what are the aspects of this uh, teaching? Since this is coming from somebody that I can see has glaring, not just character issues, but um, but, mm-hmm. but, but misuse of power uh, sorts of, of questions, you then go back and you reevaluate things through that lens. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that you would if you have um, you know, somebody you work with that later you find out that person's embezzling uh, money uh, from your company – uh, that doesn't mean that your your company shouldn't have been selling widgets all along, but it does mean that you go back and look through those financial statements and don't take them on face value right
0: now. Yeah, that's good. That's wise. Yeah. It's such a hard balance, you know? I mean, I, even, you know, I'll sing a worship song in the church that might have been written by somebody where I'm like, eh, I'm not even sure they're a Christian anymore, you know? Um, and that's it. I don't yeah. know. It's just yeah. kind of hard. Yeah. I just feel a little. Icky or just like I don't know, it's just odd, you know, even though the content of what they're saying might be good and beautiful, and I could even rewrite the same content, you know, or somebody else write it and I'd be like, Yeah, now now it just feels better. At the same time, I don't wanna give you the impression that you have to have like some kind of impeccable moral character to
1: write yeah. And stuff. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of like um, you know, watching I used to love to watch reruns of the Cosby show. Um, because it it was just a a brilliantly written and acted, uh, comedy watching it now, though, uh, can be kind of chilling because you're looking at someone, you're saying, okay, Bill, the persona that Bill Cosby has here is one that he used in unspeakably horrific ways and so uh, it, it sort of changes the when when the humor is coming from that I'm everybody's dad uh, okay. mentality, and then you see how he used that I'm everybody's dad uh, persona to to hurt people. It it just changes the the experience of of watching this, and you know there are going to be all sorts of you don't have to go and investigate. Every worship song, and to say, I mean, uh, God of grace and God of glory, one of my favorite uh, mm. old hymns, written by Harry Emerson Fosdick, who's someone whose theology I would reject. Yeah, uh, but it's a great hymn. Uh, you don't have to go back and, and evaluate. Was well, this person uh, worth uh, listening to? But you do have to say. Um, you also have to avoid the tendency of saying, "Well, as long as somebody is producing useful material, then that means it doesn't matter what sort of person yeah. we're we're holding up." You know, they're, 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 the both of those can lead to bad places.
0: There is something beautiful when you get the sweet combo of somebody who has just a just a truly genuine, godly character, and they're super wise. I'm thinking somebody like a Eugene Peterson or. I mean, gosh, there's many we can list. John Stott. Uh, John Stott. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. And, and people that like, yeah. or even, you know, um, I, Howard Marshall, uh, uh, passed away a couple years, a few years ago, um, you know, one of the greatest New Testament scholars of the 20th century. I um, I did my PhD at Aberdeen University and he was retired. He was emeritus there, but he, he had an office like, like just down the hall from me. This was the mm-hmm. sweetest, most humble, most church dedicated, meek, godly man I, I think i've ever met i mean just yeah he would go to church and just like serve the poor through his church and play the organ and the little tiny methodist church and just just a mm-hmm. beautiful i remember seeing and then you read his stuff and it's just like so heavily footnoted and all just just you know ooze just scholarly response responsible scholarship you know and i'm like man it's just i don't know he was kind of an inspiration to me i'm like man i would give anything to kind of have that combo um
1: yeah yeah, I mean, I, I remember talking to somebody who had served on staff um, with John Stott, uh, yeah. a, a much younger person who had served with uh, Stott. And he said, you know, John Stott was nothing in private like he was in public. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, no, I can't lose John Stott. <laughs> and then he immediately said he was so much better. Oh wow! He said uh, er- everything that you saw about Stott, um, was even intensified. He was humble, servant leadership, genuine character and integrity. And when, when that, when you can see that, you know, that, that doesn't deify that person or they're a sinner, uh, a repentant sinner, but it's, it's, it's grace giving to recognize when that does happen, when we see so much of the alternative.
0: I would say the exact same thing of Francis Chan, like who he is on stage, just just madly, you know, passionate about Jesus. That's how that's he. He literally wakes up every day, can't wait to spend hours with Jesus because that's where he gets his sheer delight. Like he, it's. I feel like I'm not yeah. even Christian when I'm around him, you know. Like it's just like, oh, dude, can you dim it down <laughs> just a little bit to make me feel a little more <laughs> saved, you know? But, but I, wouldn't people have said that about Ravi though? Ravi was a that was a shocker a little bit. I I didn't know I don't know him personally. I hardly even knew him. Never read a book by him, so I don't even know. But people that I did know him, they they saw him as kind of that godly mature spiritual leader like that one was that one a, that was a shock the Robbie case wasn't it or maybe
1: it was it was it was a shock to some people i think that but if you go back and you actually look at the reports that are done there were so many um, warning signs that it appears to me were uh, were simply avoided and and not looked at and you can see that in a lot of these situations where people are uh, people are saying something's really uh, wrong here at the character level, and we'll address that. But first, we have to get through this big evangelistic campaign, or this building program, or this whatever. And so they defer it, which means that by deferring it, by there never there never comes a point where any institution can say. Oh well, now we have the now we have the bandwidth for an existential crisis yeah. that never that never happens, yeah. and so you just keep pushing that accountability out um, until it's until it's yeah. beyond. I mean, you take not not just talking about sort of fraudulent um, kind of predatory people, but but just dealing with sort of normal um, vulnerability, mm-hmm. uh, I think about. Um, I've seen a lot of, uh, pastors and leaders over the past couple years, uh, just collapse with alcoholism Hmm. or some, some form of substance abuse. And in almost every one of those situations, there were, there were points where this could have been addressed if the person had had the ability, like, like the person could have, if he was, if he were working in a, you know, in a private company, come in and say, Hey, I think I'm drinking too much Mm. or people say, okay, well, let's get you help. But when person thinks, well, if I say, I think I might be drinking a little bit too much, I'm going to lose my job and be exiled. And and so it's not going to be then addressed. Mm. Uh, And so they just keep thinking, I'm going to have to fix this by myself. And eventually I will. Mm -hmm. And they end up being destroyed. I mean, so I, I think that can even happen um when we're talking about not not frauds or wolves but people who just are are grappling with uh, grappling with sin or frailty in a time when uh their their image uh, they, they can't afford for their image to suffer i mean i think that's right. a problem that we have as a church
0: yeah like if a christian was a ceo of a a widget company and he said man i think i'm drinking way too much or i'm addicted to this or Whatever, like because his job isn't necessarily on the line, you know. But with ministry, yeah, that's a that's a there's certain socially unacceptable (laughs) struggles or sins or whatever that um, make it hard to kind of bring to light. Uh, Russ, we only have a couple more minutes left. I want to be sensitive to your time. Can can you just give a few minutes of just speaking directly to kind of Christian leaders, pastors who are listening? You know, we we began kind of talking about just our. It seems like our. You know, 2021 has is, is not gotten much better than 2020. Um, in, any words of advice, hope, encouragement to, to people leading other people in this time?
1: Well, I think one of our big problems is a captivity to fear, um, where w- what we, we sort of uh, fall to is the idea that the audience I'm speaking to right now um, is, is the audience. And uh, and there's there's something about fallen human nature that tends to uh, that tends to cower a little bit and to say, well, what what kind of person do I have to be before them? Hmm. Well, I mean, not only do we really need a sense of standing before the judgment seat of Christ, um, but also a sense of the fact that our audience is not just the audience in front of us. There are people overhearing us. And uh, oftentimes the decisions that we make right now um, to avoid uh, some sort of discomfort will mean that we cannot speak to uh, Mm -hmm. people. So if you look back and you see, um, I mean, you you look back and you say, why were there so few white Southern pastors who would speak out against Jim Crow? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, you go back and you you talk to them and what they would say is, well – my people aren't ready for that, I'm just sort of conserving my influence, or we, we can't do that right now because we would lose people or we would be distracted from what we're doing. I mean, all of those uh, all of those sorts of excuses. It's easy for us all to do that, mm. uh, which means not only do you end up being unfaithful to what Christ has called you to do, but you also uh, can't speak to the people who are on the margins um, and, and I mean, Paul says, I didn't yield to them, the the Judaizers, for a moment so that the gospel would be preserved for you. Mm. Uh, I mean, it would be easy simply to say, well, I'm just, you know, okay, uh, these people want to demand circumcision. Okay. I mean, why am I going to fight that battle? Uh, well, because uh, there are uh, Gentiles out there who aren't in the seat of power. Mm-hmm lot who are loved by Jesus and need to know Jesus. And if you don't stand up for them when they're absent uh, in terms of power, you can't stand with them later when they're present. And so keeping that in mind, I think, is um, of, of just sort of uh, reframing your audience constantly is is yeah. necessary.
0: So don't, don't be, if I can boil it down, don't be scared to speak and embody the truth, even if it you might face some kind of backlash from people in power. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a good word. Well, Russ, thanks so much for uh, this dialogue. Uh-huh. I mean I can keep going, but um, yeah, both of us probably have places we got to, got to go and people to see. So thanks so much for I, yeah, Thanks so, for doing that, for being courageous and, and being a, a model uh, for us to follow and, um, don't don't fall, man. <laughs> A lot of pressure. <laughs> you, but... <laughs> either. <laughs> you either.
1: You yeah. either. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. Thanks for having me. It's been good to be with
0: you. Thank you. You too.